And welcome, as that music should cue you. This is going to be an episode of Make Matriarchy Great Again, which is in praise of the goddess. And today we will be praising a goddess very dear to me. Indeed. Artemis. Artemis. And here, the I believe Dawn is a goddess too in the Greek pantheon. And we have our own <laughs> of the podcast. Don However, Hello, I do not claim to be a goddess, nor do I claim <laughs> that bad things happen to mortals who cl- who claim to uh to be able to compete with goddesses in ancient True Greece. Indeed. So I don't want to invoke that upon myself. I'll be careful, I should introduce myself too. This is Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I am just. We're just, we've been talking about this episode for a while and yeah. trying to put together how to convey it. So hopefully we'll be able to get just the very basic essence of this. And we might come back and revisit Artemis again to flesh her out. Because one of the things that I hope comes across in this episode is that this belief that certainly that I have that the biography of Artemis is the biography of matriarchal religion and that she represents in her fullest expression when you look at her history when you look at her whole background this sort of journey from matriarchy to patriarchy that we experience in the world in particular i think as we discuss her today you're going to hear about her different forms in different areas in europe in the aegean and to me she's an indication she's a link that we can use to to kind of prove that there was a cultural matriarchal family that extended throughout this region prior to being overwhelmed. That's my own particular belief. I've talked with Vicky about it. And um, that's kind of why I think she is so important. And also, I just simply connect with her. Vicky um, being Vicky Noble, our Vicky frequent uh, contributor and uh, partner in crime. And uh, yes, as our listeners will certainly uh, come to realize during the course of this episode, Artemis is very much uh, Sean's special goddess. He is a devotee of uh, of her and all she represents. So I am uh, going to, in many ways, step back and let Sean uh, drive this episode because he has um, he has done much more. Uh, research on her, and uh, she is very dear to his heart. So, which is why I don't want to screw it up. But you know, we'll we'll see what we get out of this. I think we've got um, at least some good framework, a good framework to discuss, and again, something that we can build on. Indeed, um, indeed. Thank you for describing it that way because she is she is special. Let's let's start with her traditional view. Like we right. have a traditional of her, right? Artemis. Exactly. The sort of traditional Greek Artemis, uh, later Greek Artemis, um, that we all have come to know and is in the um, the sort of uh, brief descriptions of the Olympian pantheon um, that we all get in our uh, Greek myths and legends 101, which is that she was the twin sister of Apollo, um, the older sister. She was born first. Um, the daughter of Zeus and Leto, who was a Titaness. And um, how about I also read just a little, just Graves has one paragraph where yes, he gives a quick summary bio. So Robert Graves in the Greek myths describes her thus, Artemis, Apollo's sister, goes armed with bow and arrows, and like him, 
has the power both to send plagues or sudden death among mortals and to heal them. She is the protectress of little children and of all suckling animals, but she also loves the chase, especially that of stags. So that's his summary overview of the goddess. I mean, she's got of the moon and the hunt, right? Yes. Virgins yes. And childbirth. And childbirth, um, the legend of her birth is that Hera, who, you know, always, always demonized as a jealous wife by the Greeks. Um, yeah, it's not like, you know, Zeus ever cheated on her, right? <laughs> well, Zeus had every right to cheat on her all the time because he's a dude. So, so, so the Greeks would say, so the Greeks and would applaud say, you for it. exactly. Yeah. Chastity was only important to women, after all, in Greek society. So, um, Hera had no recourse but to punish the um, the women who had affairs with Zeus, often uh, against their own will. But um, so Leto was uh, was sort of harangued by Hera and was uh, pursued all over the earth, and um, Hera commanded that Leto was not allowed to give birth on solid earth. So um, some, some versions of the myths say that she was, uh, gave birth on the floating island of Delos. Some say that she gave birth while perched on an olive branch in an olive tree, which sounds like a heck of a trick. Yeah, but um, it's, uh, not not easy. Let's yeah. say for the for the woman who, yeah, as you say, did not willingly go into that good night with, it, Big with Daddy yeah, willingly into Zeus's bed. Um, but uh, she gave birth to Artemis first, and then uh, Hera, seeing this that you know she had been foiled, um, Hera forbid the goddess of childbirth at the time to help Leto give birth to Artemis's twin, um, which delayed his birth by some say up to nine days, um, until Artemis uh, was able to become a midwife to her own mother and help her mother in the birth of her twin Apollo. And it was in this way that uh, Artemis became associated with childbirth and as the patron goddess of um, women who were giving birth. It's a, it's an interesting combination and we'll get, you know, we'll talk about the different emanations of where it comes from, but it's, you know, you and I were talking beforehand about whether the idea of whether she's a syncretized goddess that takes all these different myths and they pull it together into her or whether she's this initially goddess manifold the great mother and then she's whittled down right and some of this stuff you never with the greeks it's we know our old pal the ancient greeks our old pals that uh, they were not particularly fond of the ladies they yes. did not have a very positive outlook on women so some attributes I wonder, you know, this is only our speculation. There are many scholars who, who can go into it in different detail, but I wonder where that aspect of the childbirth was brought in. Was it something brought in to make her soften her in the Greek eyes? Or is that something that she as a great mother right. would have already had? And so the virgin part may have been brought in to kind of make her. Less- yeah. To, to explain why she was not uh, subordinate to a husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, her name, Artemis, uh, some scholars speculate that it means, you know, the singular one. 
Um, but other scholars say that Artemis is not a Greek name at all, and that um, it has earlier origins, uh, possibly Persian. Um, it's it's a, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a possible. She seems to not have a lot to do with that region. So, at least in the stuff that I've seen, I don't know maybe if you've seen that she has much in. Well, we'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to all her various, all her various um, emanations um, and variations. Um, The thing that I love about Artemis is, um, you know, this association that she has with the hunt and um, with uh, nature. Um, To me, a a sort of uh, the best way I found to describe her sort of Greek aspect is that she um she is the goddess of undomesticated women or females so she's uh she sort of presides over um young girls from from the time of birth up until the time that they were married so when they were singular and in a sense their own mistresses um she presides over wild animals, not domesticated animals, but wild animals, and, and is both mistress of the hunt, but also protectress of wild animals. Um, in a sense, she, uh, she keeps care of them the same way a natural predator would, in that, you know, she she hunts only those who are not strong enough to escape from her bow and arrow. Um, and it, it's she, a very, it's yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very, very natural sort of cruel. wild. Yeah. We um, would think of cruel because we live in, we don't live out in nature as much. We, we would think of it as heartless, but there's, there is that feel to it and the feel to the goddess. I mean, we'll talk about some of her myths where she just is, seemingly unforgiving of yeah. someone who crosses her boundaries. Right. But in the sense of that, she represents the wild nature that is untamed by man and by man is seemed to be, you know, um, vengeful and, um, and uh, sort of following whims uh, and following her own rules. But, but she is the natural world and um, mankind cannot tame her. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, precisely Uh, our feeling about the natural world is that it's uncompromising. When you watch nature shows, you see if they can catch that gazelle, that gazelle is finished, Mm -hmm. right? If the, if the predator, the big cat captures it, that's not worried about how cute the animal looks. That is it's dinner for the night. Right. And so the same way, that's what Artemis is like. She is very uncompromising in that way. In, in some aspects, I wonder, too, when you think about that, again, the Greek, the way the Greeks looked at women, this kind of fearful sense of their wildness. You see it in the in the, di- the, the Bacchic rites, right? The Bacchae, where the maenads go wild and tear men apart. Right. And interestingly, again, we'll come to this later, Dionysus does have a crossover with 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 Artemis, with the Great Mother, uh, in terms of these kind of orgiastic wild rites, because they they're rites that we'll see are tied to Artemis in a different form. So, 
does it tie into the notion of how the Greeks looked at women too? This whole notion yeah. that she yeah. is just there's not going to be any forgiveness once her fury is unleashed. Right. Once the tiger has a hold of you, that's it. Your dinner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So she was a favorite with rural populations. Apparently her worship was, um, was, uh, much more, uh, present in rural populations, which makes sense. People who live closer to nature. Um, she, uh, some of the names associated with her were mistress of the animals. She of the wild. She's described as a lover of the chase as arrow pouring deer shooting. And in her association with the moon, she's also often uh, described as bright Artemis. She's um, in many poetry, that is her nomaker, bright artist, and also described as torch bringer. Mm. Um, as a virgin goddess, quote unquote, virgin goddess, which, um, you know, you and I have talked about that may actually just mean unmarried and uncontrolled. Mm -hmm. um, but she guarded the chastity of her followers and punished whomever broke it, whether that was um, someone from the outside or whether that was her followers themselves. Um, one of the most... Uh, frequently associated myths with her is that of Acteon and his hounds. Very, um, a, a ferocious myth, a very yes, disturbing yes. myth. Yes, Acteon was a hunter himself, and uh, he was said to be out hunting one day and, um, and spied Artemis bathing, and, uh, and when he saw her naked flesh, um, he either that was transgression enough or... He, uh, in some myths, was said to have been aroused by it and tried to force himself on her. And um, she turned him into a stag and set his own hunting hounds on him, and the hunting hounds tore the stag apart. I think the more the more powerful version is if it's just that gazing upon her. Because there are, there are other myths I've seen in other cultures um, – I'm trying to think there was a Celtic myth that was similar to like to that, which is just to gaze upon the goddess was enough to, in the, this other particular myth, just overwhelm and overpower the, the man who gazed upon her. But in this case, it's, there's a consequence for being overpowered right. by gazing upon her. And I think about that a lot as someone who from a male standpoint is, is connected, devoted, you know, really appreciative of this goddess that notion of what happens, how you, how you carefully toe the line in your, uh, in, in following and looking after this goddess and what it means. And I think that again, when you, when you start to look at it that way, it, for me, at least it gives me an insight into the Greek standpoint of like, okay, why are they so worried about one, how these goddesses express themselves? And in this particular case, why, how this particular goddess expresses herself right. and what the danger is almost in falling for her in a yeah. sense, right? There's and a that, danger in it. And that, you know, the, the act of worship, the accidental act of stumbling across her bathing is enough to seal his doom, that there's a sense of that, like, what did I do? You know, that that is mankind's cry against nature. If you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, you are dinner. Yeah, I think, and I, I'm pulling back to this thread because I think 
not just a cry against nature, but I, I, in thinking about the gender relations, and I think it's it stands out because you're thinking in terms of male looking at a goddess, which we don't have in our contemporary culture, right? right, we, right. we have some experience of it. I mean, as a Catholic, I have experience of there's a face of the feminine divine with Mary in my faith, but it's different. You know, it's very clear in the faith that she's not a goddess. You're not supposed to revere her like goddess. It's part of a, you know, part of the Catholic teaching. Um, but there in the ancient world, you have that kind of, you would have had maybe this earlier great mother, right? And then we'll talk about this a little mm -hmm. bit later. Mm -hmm. And what is the danger for, to the Greeks for culture when men follow a great mother as opposed to a great Zeus? Right. And so look at the danger of just gazing upon that and being drawn into that. You're going to be torn apart, dude, is basically in the sense that what they're trying to say to you. That's the warning. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, a similar myth, which which carries with it, you know, a patriarchal warning as well, is that um, a very similar thing happened to a young boy, uh, Spiroites. Um he was a, a, a boy that stumbled across her bathing, and um, she was slightly, uh, either more or less, depending on your point of view, merciful with him in that she didn't have him killed. Um, she merely turned him into a girl. That is interesting. We talked about this uh, before the podcast because there are aspects in earlier forms of Artemis where she, in dealing with Heracles is a weird, a wild and weird Heracles myth. Right. Um, and there is the, with Dionysus where they, they become feminized. These, these two great gods we think of as these powerful gods, but in the presence of this great mother, this, this form of Artemis, they like this, like this particular myth become feminized. That's, that's a real interesting story in that case. Yeah. And what do you make? What do you make of that? Well, let's let's just sort of give just the facts first. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, ma'am, and then we'll uh, and then we'll talk about the greater meanings of them. Um, so, some other uh, myths associated with Artemis is um, Iphigenia. Uh, Artemis fought on the side of the Trojans in the Great Trojan War, and um, uh, when uh, Agamemnon. Was going to sacrifice his daughter Iphigenia in order that the ships could have a favorable wind to go to the war. Um, Artemis was said to have substituted a deer for Iphigenia at the last minute, so that um, she was her life was saved and brought her to Taurus to become a priestess of Artemis. There, um, there's also the myth of Callisto. Um, where Artemis actually teamed up with Hera to punish this woman who had um, fooled around with Zeus. And um, Callisto was going to be killed by Artemis and Hera. And Zeus, um, Zeus had turned her into a bear to escape them. And so Artemis was getting ready to sick her hounds on this bear. And at the last minute, uh, Zeus put her into the heavens as Ursa Major. Just a, cu a couple of things be before we move past them. I mean, mm -hmm. the, you point out she sided with the Trojans, and it's it, it's an interesting thing to remember. Also, who sided with the Trojans were the Amazons. Yeah. So that is traditional Greek myth. We hear it in the Iliad, and we also in the epic cycle, which is a series of stories that have most of which have been lost. We only have fragments, 
but that were fleshed out and told other aspects of the Trojan War. Amazons were on their side. Artemis is the patron of the Amazon, so right. it all really links in right. um, yeah. very neatly and nicely yeah. in that case. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, she uh, She's also associated with uh, a Hippolytus myth. Um, Hippolytus, and uh, we talked about this earlier, there were no Greek gods who were chaste. So if a man wanted to, if a male in the society wanted to dedicate himself to chastity, he had to follow a, a goddess. Um, and there were three goddesses in, um, in Greek myth who were associated with chastity or virginity, um, and Artemis was one of them. Um, so Hippolyta, Hippolytus swore, um, uh, dedicated himself to Artemis and swore himself to chastity. And Aphrodite was pissed off at this because he has, was scorning her in the process. So she had his stepmother fall in love with him and, and um, in her desire to have him murder him. Um, Artemis had him uh, resurrected, had him brought back to life um, and, uh, and removed him from the situation uh, to rule another city. Um, so she was faithful, you know, she, again, um, is associated with protecting those who vow chastity, um, against, uh, even the other gods. Uh, when young women died suddenly, they were said to have been killed by Artemis's arrows. Um, so she was also in some ways the goddess of sudden death. Again, a natural force that is untamed. Plagues, exactly. Plagues That's one as of the well. That come up. Yeah. Yes, she's said to this, have poison yeah. arrows that brought plague. Which is for our modern era, the COVID era. Yes, indeed. That is, indeed. Is, that's about. Um, bears were sacred to her, as well as um, deer and um, certain birds, uh, partridges, quails, the guinea fowl were sacred to her, as well as um, the cypress tree and the palm tree. She was said to ride a chariot that was drawn by four stags with golden antlers. And in art, she is depicted as wearing a knee-length keton, which is like um, uh, a little um, short-skirted tunic. Uh, she is often depicted with her bow and, and her quiver of arrows, uh, sometimes with a torch or a lyre, uh, with her, um, association with Apollo, her b- twin brother. She often re- wears a crown that is a crescent moon, um, and often is, has either a pelt of animal hide or a cap of animal hide, similar to depictions of Amazons in art. Um, and is accompanied, as I said, by, by either deer or hounds. Well, she is, I mean, there, there are, of course, we'll get into it. There's a lot of different aspects of the emanations of, of her symbols and what represent her and how she, uh, shows in different places in different parts of the world. Um, mostly in this, this particular region. Yeah. So let's so, talk about that. Let's talk about now that we've sort well, of outlined me, the basic Greek Artemis. Um, let's, yeah, let's, let's get let into me, that a little. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Let's, um, let me read a little bit of what, it's just a very short passage from, uh, Edith Hamilton. So 
uh, read something earlier from Robert Graves. So to just give you a sort of bibliography of the different uh, works you could look at to learn a little more about this Ghana. So there is Robert Graves, The Greek Myths. It's not an extensive uh, description of Artemis that he starts with in this, but that's, it's a good place to start with that. And uh, it's also a good place to go through the Greek myths. It's just a beautiful and rich volume. And then there's Edith Hamilton's uh, Mythology, which um, you know, classic work uh, from um, Edith Hamilton, a classic scholar from many, many decades ago. Mm-hmm. But she talks about the darker aspects of Artemis. The mo- I would should rather a better way to put it, she talks about a triple goddess aspect in a certain sense of Artemis. And what she right. says um, here. She says that in later poets, Artemis is identified with Hecate. Right. She is the goddess with three forms. So here we go. The triple goddess, the idea of the great mother, this, uh, which ties, interestingly enough, two graves, and, and we talk about that in some of his works, the idea of these different emanations of the innocent virgin goddess, the full goddess and mature woman, you know, uh, sexual in form, and then the older, the crone, Right. Uh, so maiden mother she, right she's the goddess with three forms Selene in the sky artemis on earth and hecate in the lower world and in the world above when it is wrapped in darkness uh hecate in the lower world and in the world above when it's wrapped in darkness so she represents that goddess in both the underworld and in the night um hecate was the goddess of the dark of the moon the black nights when the moon is hidden she was associated with deeds of darkness, the goddess of the crossways, which were held to be ghostly places of evil magic, an awful divinity, Hecate of hell, mighty to shatter every stubborn thing. Hark, hark, her hounds are baying through the town. Where three roads meet, there she is standing. So that is one aspect of Artemis. Nice. And it's interesting because she is, when you go through some of the works and the information in particular that I found on Artemis in terms of these different variations uh, was in a work called The Religious Cults Associated with the Amazons by uh, Florence, uh, is it Florence Bennett Anderson, I think? Um, we'll get, I'm going to get her name correct because I wanted to make sure that we um, gave her a proper due. But it's a work that I think is really overlooked because it was written around about the turn of the 20th century. And um, and it has a lot of information uh, about the Amazons, Florence Bennett Anderson, yes, uh, religious cults associated with the Amazons. That's a lot of information, a lot of odd information to me, uh, odd only in the sense that I've seen it occur and come up before. But the information she says about Artemis is she talks about the different ways and places in which she was worshipped. Um, and she talks about how in different areas, she has different names. Like for example, in Thrace, she is Bendis, Bendis or Artemis Toropolis, mm-hmm. uh, the Toric Artemis you'd mentioned earlier. And Bendis is the same goddess, essentially. She's the goddess of the moon and the hunt. She is Artemis. And Thrace is one of the regions associated with the Amazon. So yeah. for me, all the locations that Florence Bennett talks about with Artemis Thrace, Anatolia, Ephesus in particular, uh, Samothrace is another island. Um, you've got um, a relation in Crete, 
Uh, so that's really important because Crete, yes. of course, is what we call the Minoan civilization. So in Crete, she's Rhea and has the same form. In Anatolia, she's Magna Mater. In a different region of Anatolia, the western part, she's Artemis Ephesus. Yes. And then you've got Artemis again in Thrace. So she has these different forms and she represents, she has a similar form in each of these places. Now, the Bendis goddess is a goddess like our traditional Artemis, which is the moon and the hunt. But Magna Mater is the great mother. It's the single mother worship. And she represents that in Crete. She represents that in other parts of Anatolia. So, but under the name Artemis, because even in Ephesus, that Artemis is much more like Magna Mater, much more like what we associate with the cults. And you had mentioned that the priests had to be chased. And that um, that was very much the case with this kind of worship of Artemis. Yes, so yes. The Ephesus, the Artemis of Ephesus is, of course, that famous um, statue that we all know of with the many-breasted Artemis, who mm-hmm. looks very different from, you know, the Greek Artemis, who is this live young maiden figure. The Ephesus Artemis was the goddess of uh, the fructifying and all-nourishing powers of nature. So the nature that sustains and gives us life, and in that sense, um, you know, again, is associated with the Great Mother. Um, also one of the seven wonders of the world. One of the seven wonders of the, the world is her, yeah. tempi- her temple, the Artemis Temple at Ephesus. Yeah. And, and importantly, it's one that was always associated in the ancient world with the Amazons, the Amazons having built and founded the Temple of Artemis. She is the matron of the Amazon. So now we're starting to tie in this, what we were talking about at the top of the podcast, which is she is connected very deeply to matriarchal expression and matriarchal culture. So she's the matron of the Amazons. And um, as uh, Vicky Noble, our pal Vicky, points out that the Amazons can be looked at as a resistance movement. There, you know, there's many different issues, and you'll read different scholars, particularly now, talking about who the Amazons were. Not to go too far afoot, but the idea that some think they were just the women, the the female group of a larger mixed gender grouping. Most scholars look at it that way. They may have been one of the other tribes we know about, whether Scythians or Sarmatians and things of that sort. I have a different thought on it, which is that I do think they existed in this form, but uh, as the form that we know of, there's these kind of single sex units, and they came up with different ways, of course, to perpetuate. But when we've talked about it with Vicky, one of the things that I think we all kind of agree on is that they do represent a kind of resistance, not kind of, a resistance to patriarchal overpowering in that region. Incursion, exactly. So... So Artemis in Ephesus was a sanctuary. You could find sanctuary there from trouble. And it was created by the Amazons. And I think it's interesting that if this band is a resistance band, it, what would you need, of course, is a place of sanctuary at times right. to be able to avoid this kind of these, this incursion, these invasions being overwhelmed. Um, so that's the Artemis in Ephesus. So she is there's one of the seven wonders of the world. She is tied to the Amazons directly. She's their matron. And she represents this great mother, and she's worshipped in a way 
that the great mother religions like Magna Mater, which the Romans imported from that region, which is the, the great mother worship. And in, when they imported it to Rome, that great mother worship, again, was characterized to the, to the shock of Roman men by that kind of, you had effeminate, chaste priests, you had priestesses that oversaw these things, you had the worship of a female de deity as the center of all things, and tying it back to Artemis, she is tied to this particular kind of entity. She has that name connection there. She has the name connection as Rhea in Crete, and then you start to see how she's expressed in these different eras. So she is really this kind of like, she is this figure that seems to be, to me, she seems to be a pre-existent deity of a form that we connect with that name. You know, she has, the, I mean, the double axe is associated with her. Who else is associated with the double axe? The Amazons. The, the Amazons. And interestingly enough, it's all over the Cretan, so-called Minoan civilization. Yeah. Right? It's all over there. We see that in, in different parts of the world, different parts of this region. So... Ephesus and Anatolia, Crete. Um, I have arguments about Lemnos and the Etruscans, and there is connections in different cults there. But there's also a language connection, and that's a, potentially a language connection to those. Yeah. But the interesting thing about all of those places is all of these particular civilizations were reported or reputed to have been matriarchal in the ancient world. Again, scholars, like they do with anything that expresses warrior women or female power question it of course right um you could have just a bare rumor of something about a male figure and they'll just take it as gospel but of course in this case you know you're going to have to actually exhume the bodies and bring the spirits back just to have them believe it exactly. but anyway, it's got to be spelled so, out six yeah. ways to sunday exactly exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But but she you find her expressed throughout that region and it's really for me that that is the most uh, of anything to get out of this particular episode is the fact that she does connect throughout the ancient world in name and then in relation to the name to these great mother figures to the great mother and she and the fact that she's intimately tied to the amazons to me indicates she was certainly in the minds of the the ancient men that we we can take that we take as gospel. She certainly she certainly represents this connection to the Amazons and to we know clearly then perhaps that we can look at to a matriarchies that preexisted at that time. So that to me is the, to me this is the these are the clues that I'm the, the crumbs that I'm following to see if okay can we find as we look at where she expresses herself Artemis that is in these different regions and that they're tied to places where we think of as either having been homelands of Amazons or homelands of matriarchies. And what can it tell us? Can it help us tie these places together? Can we find something in the myths that can lead us to be able to pursue the argument that there were clear matriarchal relations families in this region? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so let me, um, let me just pop in here and talk about um, some of the uh, other cults of Artemis mm -hmm. in the various different regions. And sure, um, we can, we can uh, describe to our listeners how, how very different they were, which, you know, is, is, is in support of this idea that there's, there's definitely something more going on here than mm -hmm. just the Greek 
um, you know, after Homer um, is when the poets started to really stress Artemis's chastity and, you know, sort of whittle her down to this like moon goddess. Um, they started to talk about how she delighted in the just cities of men, which is like, what? <laughs> that mm. has nothing to do with the Artemis before her. Um, so in other places, okay, so we talked about Artemis at Ephesus and how, um, you know, there is this many-breasted statue of her. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world, this amazing structure um, that we believe served as a stronghold and a sanctuary for, um, for Amazons. The, um, she was also associated there with the bee um, the bee was associated with her worship, which we know in earlier times was associated. The bee is one of the um, one of the creatures that's associated with the great goddess. Her mm -hmm. priests at Ephesus, and I want to stress that at Ephesus were eunuchs. Mm -hmm. So, um, so again, you know, male chastity associated with her at Ephesus. Um. The Arcadia Artemis, so Artemis at Arcadia, uh, not associated with Apollo at all. So that myth of her being Apollo's twin sister does not exist there. Um, but she is rather there, a goddess of wild places and the power of nature. In uh, the Taurian Artemis, uh, is again a very different Artemis who is associated with mystical and orgiastic worship. So her untamed nature there um, is more associated with the sort of untamed human side where uh, divine madness and that sort of thing uh, was associated with her cult and possibly earlier, even earlier times human sacrifice. Um, mm -hmm. The Baronian Artemis, which was worshipped in Athens and Sparta, as well as the Orthian Artemis, also often um, worshipped there in that region of Athens and Sparta. Um, but the Baronian Artemis, young boys were scourged on her altars so that the altars would be sprinkled with the blood of young men. Um, the Orthian Artemis um, was a winged goddess. So all of her statues in Orthia um, show her as having wings. And she was, she was thought to produce madness in the minds of men. So again, associated with this sort of undomesticated, untamed nature. Um, in the Tauropolia festival. Yeah, that's, that's the one I... Uh... Yeah, in Attica, um, she was honored as Artemis Tauropolis as a bull goddess. So um, the bull was associated with her worship. And um, at the opening of these festivals... Um, they would uh, they would sacrifice to Artemis a few drops of blood that were taken by sword from a man's neck. 
By the way, that is the goddess referenced earlier that I mentioned was in the Thracians. So there the we Thracians go. were tied with the Turopolian Artemis or Bendis. So nice, yeah. In Pelop in the Peloponnese, um, her worship was associated. She was there was a tree cult there, and so she was associated with um, the dryads, tree nymphs. Um, and let's and, can, can we hold on that one for yeah, a second go too? Ahead, go for that, it. Uh, in that one. Uh, the work of Sarah Pomeroy and the Spartan women, she talks about the different cults associated, but Peloponnesian Peninsula, that's where Sparta was. And the interesting thing about Sparta, which stands out from the other Greek cities, is that even though it still is a patriarchal, it has so many aspects of its culture which are matriarchal. And again, here we see Artemis. She appears in this particular culture. She's reverent. She's worshipped there. And we have a culture which though the Spartans engaged in a lot of the heinous things that other Greek males, uh, cities and men in those cities engaged in, women had greater power there. They were able to be, and this is significant, physically active. I mean, they were, mm -hmm. they had, they were like the, the great athletes of female athletes of the ancient Greek world. Here's Artemis, that goddess of the hunt, that physical goddess, goddess of Amazons. So we have that. They also had a form of kingship, which they had double kings, which seems to, again, going back to Vicky Noble's work, the double goddess, the double queens, always seen in these matriarchal. It's almost as if someone grafted this matriarchal format onto this patriarchal culture. So you've got Artemis worship there. You've got, and, and unusually so in this particular region, right? And you've got all these other matriarchal forms. There's other marriage forms that, that the women had in Sparta, which were much more matriarchal. So just wanted to throw that in. Yeah. It's interesting that there is a culture that has way more female power. And there she goes. There's Artemis. Showing and there's up. Artemis being worshipped there. Yeah, yeah. Also, she was associated in this region with naiads. So uh, with uh, water nymphs. And so she was considered um, the supervisor of lush growth and marshes and springs, which are often associated with goddess worship in all areas of the world. And she had a nomiker there of um, Limnatus, which is Lady of the Lake. Hmm. That's a, we've heard that phrase before. Right? Yeah, yeah, isn't that, is that right. interesting? Again, ties, I, again, the belief that you and I have talked about, and I've just mentioned it a little bit here, there is way more of a spread of these matriarchal cultures and families I think we'll find underneath a lot more, especially in European civilization, than we really want to admit. It's there. It keeps springing out in different places. It spreads in different places. Um, can I read this? I mean, yeah. on this topic, because yeah. uh, Florence Bennett Anderson has a, in her book, has this great conclusion, and, and it ties in all these different aspects of the, the Artemis yeah. uh, in her different form. She says, the Amazons were votaries of Kybele, Artemis under the surnames Ephesia, Teropolis, which you just mentioned, mm -hmm. Lycia, and Astratea. Um, Apollo called Amazonian and Ares. So she talks about that Apollo and Ares show up in these, these uh, Amazon worship, but primarily we're talking about the goddess Artemis. The striking feature of the list is the homogeneity of its components. This is no fortuitous circumstance, for the authors from whom it has been compiled are many and they belong to widely separated generations. The list represents classical opinion, both Greek and Latin, on the nature of the divinities whom the Amazons were conceived uh, were conceived to have served. 
it must be concluded that these women were associated with the cults of deities of fertility and of war, among whom a woman was the chief figure and of whom the rites were orgiastic. So what Florence Bennett is saying there is that you have Artemis expressed in a lot of different ways. The Amazon is mostly associated with Artemis and Artemis associated with different names in different places. And that, as I was saying earlier, there are numerous references in ancient authors, uh, both Greek and Roman, Greek and Latin, that point this out. So this is not just something that we can say is just once again, as someone might want to dismiss, and we talked about more against the goddess as being, you know, you know, just, you know, uh, something that we're just surmising or guessing. It's that there's, there's a lot of evidence. There's a ton of evidence from different authors about how she was worshipped. And, and Dawn, you've been saying, you've been giving the information out. So it's expressed, it's there, and she is celebrated in these different forms, and she's tied to the Amazons. Right, right. Which is right. one yeah. of the reasons we love her so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she, as you mentioned earlier, as you mentioned earlier, this this if we if we take as our assumption um based on quite a bit of evidence but um if we take as our assumption that there was widespread goddess great mother worship um we see artemis as an aspect of that and that as the as the civilizations changed from matriarchal to patriarchal, that fragments of the great mother um, continued on in these civilizations in different areas with different names and different aspects assigned to Artemis but that if we piece all those aspects together, we see that um, we see that the picture emerges like adding puzzle pieces one by one. We mm-hmm. see that this picture emerges of the face of the great goddess um, who was uh, pre-existing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well put. I mean, I think maybe this is a good place for us to kind of conclude this episode because i think we'll be coming back to beloved artemis again uh just the idea that as i said at the outset i'd like to think of the biography of artemis as being the biography of uh matriarchy in the ancient world the the biography of you see her in her earliest forms in ways that we know are undivided as a great mother and we see her expressed in different areas And then we see her whittled down in different places, in particular with our old pal, the ancient Greeks, Mm -hmm. um, into something else that works and fits within the context of a patriarchal landscape. But yet, no matter what, her power still shines through, even in the Greek notion, the Greek format. And she is still associated, like even in this Greek notion where women were so fiercely controlled um, where they're, the lives of ordinary women were so fiercely controlled and curtailed, she still maintains this aspect of something that cannot be domesticated. She has this aspect, you know, uh, the sort of shreds of her former glory, in that even whittled down as she is in, in later Greek culture, um, she cannot be completely divorced from this 
wildness, this sense of, you know, the unpredictability and, um, and whims that were associated with not only the natural world, but perhaps the power of women. Nothing more need be said. Wait, before we play the outro music, there's one more thing I wanted to say about Artemis. The ancient Greeks, for whom male-male homosexuality was A-OK, good for them, and pedophilia was institutionalized, yikes, the idea of women loving women was too horrifying to even be imagined. In Athens and then later in Rome, lesbian sex was considered to be shameful and disgusting because it involved women usurping the roles and rights of men. Of course, this didn't stop citizen males from hiring prostitutes to perform women-on-women sex for them, but let's not talk about that. Anyway, Women were sequestered in each other's company most of their lives in ancient Greece. So what went on literally behind closed doors may have been entirely different than what our esteemed Greek historians assumed and then recorded. The case for Artemis as the patron saint of lesbian relations is fairly strong. When Artemis got assurance from her father that she could remain a virgin all her life, then ran off with a group of nymphs and a no-boys-allowed policy, it sounds an awful lot to modern ears like half-Girl Scout troop camping trip and half-lesbian music festival, just substitute pan flutes instead of acoustic guitars. Remember that the Greek word for virgin also meant unmarried girl, and that the Greeks thought virginity loss required penis and vagina penetration, which meant that women were not off limits when it came to Artemis and the other virgin goddesses like Athena and Hestia. Remember also that Artemis was extremely popular with rural peoples, where women's daily movements could not and would not have been so strictly monitored. And remember that part of Artemis's worship was a confusion of sexes, as seen by ancient Greece in the binary. In Ephesus, for example, her priests castrated themselves to be more like their goddess and to be certain to honor her dedication to virginity. There's a myth surrounding this about Hercules, just about the the most manly man of Greece's heroes, uh, being put in service to a queen of Lydia, which was a region of great devotion to Artemis. There he married, gave up his weapons, put on a woman's dress, and took up weaving, that most womanly of feminine occupations. In fact, when he made errors in his weaving, the queen of Lydia would beat him with her sandal. Still not convinced that Artemis was the patron goddess of lesbians and possibly even trans women? There's another myth concerning the nymph Callisto, a follower and favorite of Artemis that hangs its narrative on the comfortable intimacy between the goddess and her nymphs. Zeus, who we remember makes a habit of raping and impregnating mortal women, nymphs, and goddesses whenever he can get away with it, disguises himself as his own daughter, Artemis, to catch the nymph Callisto off guard. Callisto, 
sees whom she thinks is Artemis, and greets her with a lip lock. Only when she is safely in his arms and unable to get away does Zeus reveal his true identity to her. This myth only works if Callisto is very accustomed to making out with Artemis in a noticeably non-Platonic way, and there is an accustomed ease of loving touch and closeness between them. In the world of the ancient Greeks, this wouldn't violate the oath of virginity that either of them had taken. Our own Vicki Noble, in her book Double Goddess, speaks of the virgin goddesses Artemis and Athena thusly. Quote, rarely does a scholar mention the all too obvious likelihood that either or both of these goddess types might have found their sexual fulfillment with other women. Artemis, the shaman priestess, might naturally discover her romantic partner in Athena, the physical warrior and head of state. End quote. I couldn't have put it better myself. So. Thank you, Don Sam Alden. Thank you, Sean Marlon Newcomb. And this has been the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. This has been in praise of the goddess. We have been praising Artemis. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back soon. Take care, everyone, and blessed be. <laughs>